So I'm really delighted uh, that Angela is here with us um, to uh, read and to chat about the hill, which um, which is great that we can dive into the hill a little yeah. bit more, having uh, welcomed Angela to Ledbury Poetry Festival as well for um, a more formal presentation, yeah. which we'll hear about. Um, so uh, I'll just introduce yeah. Angela quickly. So um, Angela teaches uh, creative writing at the University of Gloucestershire and also in various community settings yes. still. Yeah. Yeah. And um, she also runs a reading series in Cheltenham called Buzzwords, which is worth knowing about because yeah. you get excellent poets to that. And that also has an open mic, doesn't yes. it? So yes, that's it does. also really good. And um, Angela's uh, publications include Occupation, Lessons in Malamorocking, Malamorocking, yeah. Malamorocking, Hyde and The Hill, most recently, of which Sheena Pugh said, exuberant, controlled, angry, elegiac. This is poetry of landscape, politics, witness. So we'll um, pick these themes a little bit in the course of the evening. So please join me to welcome Angela. Thank you. Thank you. It's always lovely to be back in Ledbury. My yearly holiday. <laughs> yes, it's a long time, isn't yeah. it? I wonder how many years have you been... Oh, well, I started coming when Charles Bennett was director. Yeah, so 14, 15... No, not quite that long, because um, Buzzwords has been running 14 years, and I think I've been running that a couple of years before I came, so okay, probably so about 12 years, maybe. 12, 13 years, yeah. 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 Great. <laughs> um, I wanted to talk, first of all, about how the hill became because it started as an experiment. Um, Nigel McLaughlin, who you'll be seeing time after next, yep. who is a colleague at university, um, was explaining a Paul Muldoon poem to me. And he was explaining it in terms of the allusions and resonances through it. Now, I, as an Englishwoman with a, with a very shallow understanding of, of the troubles around the Irish borderlands, could appreciate it as a poem. Lovely language, uh, very musical, a loose terzarima form, and lots of time shifts that were fascinating. So I could appreciate that as a poem. But Nigel, who has an extensive knowledge of Irish history, picked up so many allusions that I was completely unaware of. Even the title, the title of the poem is Unapproved Road. Now, I read that as something I occasionally see, which is Unadopted Road meaning the council won't pay for it. Um, but apparently an approved road was one of the roads that crossed the border but didn't have a checkpoint on it. So it was frequently blown up by the security services and just as frequently mended by the local farmers. So that just even, even the title held political tension, history and so on that I was completely unaware of. And this idea really fascinated me. I wanted to see if I could do something similar with a place that I knew very intimately, that I knew had some history behind it. And Lecampton Hill near Cheltenham, I've walked for over 50 years since I was a child. And I knew in a, in a vague way about the history, there were some riots there over rights of way that were closed. Um, and I grew up knowing that, knowing that. And I thought, well, that sounds great, right? I, I can have a go. And I was going to write, I was going to go to the county archives to get the facts about the riots um, and maybe write one poem maybe a couple, mm -hmm. which turned into a sequence, which turned into a book, which turned into a multimedia show and has sparked talks and essays and lectures 
and all sorts of things because it just wouldn't let me go. And when I got to the archive, there were six boxes of legal papers in the archive to do with what they called the Lecompton Hill Disputes, um, which at one point resulted in a house being torn down that was built on the right of way. So there was an awful lot there to get to grips with. So I thought I'd start just by reading... I, I started with a sequence, as, as I said. Um, if I, I'm just going to read four short sections of the sequence, which was my first attempt to blend the, the allusions to history with the contemporary walking on the hill, because what I didn't want to do was versified history, and I didn't want to write a history book. So this is Trails and Ways. One. I used to think the cottage should be mine when I scrambled up the steep track which climbed from the pit behind through beaches whose roots widened cracks in the stone beneath the hill's gaunt skin where clumps of heart's tongue lie like green rags. I would have lived there, content within its squat walls with a dog at my heel and no sense then of how adults must live between wage and want and want and need. I stand at the fence to see the cottage again my feet in the metal glitter of beech leaves, and my back to the hollow where trees and dense scrub hide the remains of iron plates that guided rumbling drums on the cabled ascent. Two. An old woman leans on the car park gate, wiry hair springing from under her waxed hat. A grey muzzled collie stands at her knee, and others laid at her feet. She sees me looking and snaps a wink at me. They tore the cottage down once, for being in the way, every stone and scrap. She tells me her grandpa was amongst the men who marched from town, uphill to Downdale, whose response to fences and blocked paths was to pound on walls, to harden hands and voices, to lead hundreds of feet over disputed ground. <coughs> Three. Someone has capped the engine house walls with concrete to slow their determined falling down. It sits on the yellow stone like a smooth grey shawl, but fails to stop the crumbling to ground. Across the clearing, the lime-kiln platform still stands. Steps one to treachery. Pillars like sarsens bound in ivy and lichen, crumbling under budlier plants through time and falling cliff and climbing feet. Campfire circles mark the ground, leave brands of smoke trails and rusty scars on the stone. Some neatly cleared, others a jumble of bent cutlery and scorched cans. I see them on summer mornings, sleepy teens, up here to spend a night away from the adult glance, to swear and smoke, to posture and flirt and try for more, to drink all they can carry and try to expand their taste for anything they think they can later deny. The girls, who last night were giggles and make-up and hope, are pale and bad-tempered, walking down under the morning sky, not expecting the steepness of the downward slope. The boy looks familiar, one of the Dales, I think. He stands on his pedals as he blasts down the ramp, skids his wheels on shale to stop before me. He's armoured in plastic, face raw-boned under the lime dust and mud spatter, shins black-greaved like wing cases. You can't walk there. It's not a footpath. Just a crossing point between trails. He says I might be knocked down if I go on past. Under my feet are fox prints, roots, iron nails, thin soil studded with foreign stone, rocks scored in lines from long-gone rails. Behind me 
a platform, mossy and overgrown, where lime kilns rose, where a child could see crumbling pillars as a temple of gold. Sparrows in the whitethorn present their wild experiments in verse and line. Worker babe brown feathers flit in the green, a flashed wing, a tipped tail. The boy rides on down, heels digging in as he rounds the curves of the trail, speed building on the incline. I go on up, my feet on the path, claiming the ground. So that was where it started. Um, the archive material was so vital, so alive, that it immediately became a huge problem in terms of how to represent those voices. Because if I had used their language, it wouldn't have been authentic. They needed to keep their own voices, which is why it ended up as a show. And I was very, very lucky um, in meeting an actor, actually at my brother's wedding, um, who volunteered to do the historical voices for me. Um, and Gloucestershire is difficult. If you ask people to do Gloucestershire, they do Wurzel Gummidge. <laughs> you know, it's, <laughs> and it isn't. You know, I knew how it should sound because my grandparents were very Gloucestershire. My father was an illiterate gardener, my, my grandfather. Um, so I'll just play one of the recordings and then, you know, please, at any time if you want to ask questions, let's keep this free-flowing. Free Don't wait for me to stop because basically you wind me up and point me in the right direction. I just talk. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to play one of the recordings that I eventually used in the show. I've got a couple of these to play throughout. <coughs> so um, this was actually um, William Sparrow, who I am half in love with. He, is a road, he was a road sweeper and wrote all the, all the letters to the Echo at the time. To the editor of the Echo. Sir, it was distinctly stated at the Kempton Parish Hall meetings a few months back, by men in a position to know, that Mr. Dale had four rights and four rights only on the Campton Hill. The game, the turf, the timber, and the quarrying rights. If that is so, what becomes of the claim for damages to a cottage and garden which evidently had no business there? There should be no attempt to compromise on a slipshod settlement. It is acknowledged on all lands that the view from the top of Lecampton Hill is one of the finest views in England. And we do not mean to allow ourselves and our children to be debarred from going there without making a fight for it. A great deal of fustian and Lapdoodle has been indulged in by the local press of the last week about mobs, hooligans, riots, the uneducated, disgraceful acts, and so on. Well, if there have been disgraceful acts, they have not all been on the side of the so-called mob at any rate. It cannot be denied that men from the Bath Road were concealed on the tenant's premises ready to pounce out upon and belabour anyone asserting their right to walk through the garden. And this they did on more than one occasion, if not more. Again, was it consonant with the spirit and letter of the law for a man to be arrested, dragged part of the way to the police station, released, re-arrested at one in the morning, and then, when brought before the magistrates, for no prosecutor to appear? This is what happened to Charles Burford. As to the gratuitous jibes at the uneducated, we might ask, how comes it that there are uneducated? 
So far from indulging in a cheap sneer at men whose education has been neglected, we could better employ our time in criticising the men or the system responsible for such neglect. William Sparrow, July the 21st, 1902. It's wonderful. And the disputes, the riots and the protests were all led by five working men who became known as the Lecompton Stalwarts. And the leader was called the King of the Common by the local press, and he was a clay digger in the brickworks. William Sparrow was just a road sweeper, and just so furious and articulate. And, you know, if I put in a poem, Fustian and Flapdoodle, I, th I couldn't get away with it. <laughs> you know, it just, it just wouldn't work. So I had to find ways for them to have their own voices in the book as well as in the show, as well as having the recordings. And for the, the carrying the story and also to be able to quote them, I ended up with, um, you can probably just see the shape of it, little sort of prose pieces that were like newspaper columns mm -hmm. throughout the book that carried the story and were able to, to quote mm -hmm. from Sparrow and, and, his, and his cohort of, of working men that made mm -hmm. s such an effort. Because they do, do chip in if you want to at any time. The house they're talking about was a cottage that Dale, the quarry owner, um, built on the right of way and also on a pit that they had had, the working people had, for 400 years, rubbed along the quarry owners. The same family had owned it for 400 years. Um, and then Dale, Henry John Dale, bought it to speculation and closed the hill because he'd bought the stone. Um, even though he bought it with rights of way existing. Um, and they, they, he built this cottage on, on the pit where the local people had their high days and holidays. Um, and on, in July 1902, the men marched down there and knocked it down by hand with pickaxes and sledgehammers <laughs> and levelled it to the ground. Um, the police at the time, which is also one of the little newspaper bits, when they went to... Henry Dale tried to prosecute the local council for restitution for the cottage. Um, and they said they could only give restitution if it was a riot. And the police said it wasn't a riot because no one was terrified. <laughs> <laughs> and they also said, and I love this, it was done with no unnecessary circumstances of disorder. <laughs> he then rebuilt it, um, and two years later they tried again, but that time the riot act was re read, and the stalwarts went, were sent to hard labour in prison. And then they kept in Henry... Uh, they kept in Walter Ballinger, the ringleader, as a test case while they went to court to fight for the rights of way. Mm. Um, inside your leaflets, if you haven't unfolded them, there is a list of aged witnesses brought to court mm. in support of defendants, which is also irresistible. Mm. It's, um, so, Angela, um, are, are all these the aged witnesses calling the witnesses and that? Because they're, they're interspersed, aren't they? Yes. The book, and they're yeah. all these people. Yes. Mm. I mean, they're not all on, on that no. copy because it was a full scap and most yeah. of our copies of <laughs> A4. Um, but there was a lot, there was also transcripted mm. witness statements from all, there was these huge books full of beautiful copper plate writing mm. with word for word the questions and the answers from the age of witnesses. Mm. Mm. Um, like, I just ask another yes, thing please do. I just wondered um, when you started writing, um, 
were, were the witnesses there right from the start, or did you sort of go and look for them, or you know, had you already started writing? I just wondered, in the in the grand scheme of the invention of it, where yeah. did the witnesses The witnesses came in, I, I guess, around halfway through. I mean, Walter Ballinger and Sparrow were there from the beginning, because mm. they were part of the, the ringleaders of the riots. Mm. Um, as I worked through these boxes of legal papers, as I said, I'd intend to spend one afternoon, and I spent two, two years going back and forth, mm to the archive and then having to come away from it because I wasn't writing a history book mm. and I kept disappearing down these wormholes yeah. of history mm. that I had to come away and remind myself I was writing poetry. Mm. Um, and, and I guess the witnesses, I think they came in at about box three of the mm. six boxes mm. and I found the, the list of age of witnesses, which I just loved. And then following that, I found all their statements in the boxes as well, all the individual statements. Now, the bits that you were looking at... Um, I actually started trying to differentiate, differentiate those by form. You've got numbered witnesses throughout the book. Yeah. Um, and that to start with, because a lot of the um, sort of blended poems I was doing in the loose terzarima, like Paul Muldoon, I thought if I used a different form for the witnesses, it would show them they were different. And I was doing a, a, a decimal form, which is a fairly obscure Portuguese form, but it's a form I particularly like um, for the witnesses. But I found I was losing the rhythms of their speech by putting them into a form. Mm. So I ended up with the witness statements just slightly adjusted really for rhythm and sound mm. in really sort of small pl prose blocks and again interspersed yeah. through to give them their own voices because they were so important. Mm. And then there was a probably good time to read that. Actually, what I'll do is I'll play one of the witnesses and then read the poem I wrote about the witnesses, mm. which you were just looking at calling the witnesses. But the, the witnesses are, are wonderful. I've got two of them here, which I'll play one of them. I have known the Earl all my life. In 1875, I went to my uncle, Isaac Crump, who was a baker, to learn the trade. I often used to carry bread to supply customers at Coverley. Sometimes I went up the footpath at the back of Mr. Dale's house across Stacey Bank Road and up the common wall path to the top of Leckhampton Hill and thence through Artby Bottom to Coverley. After James, I went up the tramway path. <coughs> Using one or other of these paths, I could get to Coverley very much quicker than any other way. But if I had a very heavy load, I had to take a less steep way and then used to go by the upper stone way. I was constantly seen by Canon Try, by his tenant, neighbour Pierman, and by them workmen at the quarries. But I was never told I had no right to go or in any way interfered with. Just wonderful. <laughs> yeah, fantastic. <laughs> and the, the actor was so good because he did all the historical voices and managed to find different voices for each person I asked him to. Um, but the, uh, the witnesses were taken to court to prove how many generations had used the hill as part of their everyday life. And what amazes me is this is 30 years before Kinder Scout. Yes. and nobody's heard of it yeah. yes. you know it's just not known and yet you know men actually went to jail yes. did hard labour for this yes. um, so I started to think about what the witnesses would think about the hill now because there's been so much change there's been no quarrying for 100 years Dale eventually the, the bad guy went bankrupt um, and the council bought the hill and it's been free to us ever since um, but I, it's changed immeasurably the woods have grown up because it's not being quarried mm enormous beech woods all over it. The hill is really, really greened. Um, and a lot of the old paths and, and cottages, some of the workers' cottages up there have, have disappeared. Yeah. 
So I started to think about what they would be like now mm. to see yes. to see the hill. Calling the witnesses. The aged witnesses grumble over the hill, stop to point at narrowed paths and fallen trees. Hawker kicks at encroaching roots while Bill Tilling beats down Nerthpack's ramp, prods the debris and asks how a man can carry bread on the stoneway to Coverley and Cowley when young men when young men speed down the trails on bikes, making fresh ruts every day to catch a foot or twist a knee. Sparrow Hiscock climbs past the quarry to Devil's Chimney, waylays walkers who follow the signposted way along the top, demands to know where his garden went. His staff points at the rocky slope below, the treacherous drop where he says he grew cabbage and spuds, the path to his cottage gone, under fallen boulders and moss. Dorothy tries skirts, wick damp from the long grass, as she leaves the skew path to find the way across to Seven Springs. She can't find the ladies' college girls, and misses the company, the giggle and scoff of bright voices, the ground-covering chatter and twirl of their youth. She's fading now, blending into the cliffs behind her, try, tilling, hiscock, no more than blurred statements, archived names on a list. Can you do a Gloucestershire accent? I was sent to elocution lessons when I was very small. <laughs> I'm told I have a bit of a burr yeah. um, by people not from the area. Yeah. And somebody told me I was Gloucestershire, but I don't think I am. And I mean, my mother's much much more Gloucestershire than I was. But I was actually sent out to do competitive first speaking when I was six, so I was sent to elocution. Mm. So. <laughs> so that was yeah. the witnesses, which they really caught me up and those voices are just so alive mm. and they, they, they couldn't be left mm. out I could no longer write just a book of poems no. about me on the hill now it just wouldn't wouldn't work they needed to have their say mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and it was interesting the ladies college getting yes yes it is um miss beale was the founder and principal yes. of many people have heard of her of late chutton ladies college um Henry John Dale, who bought the hill and closed the rights of way, was a partner in a piano manufacturing company, uh, Dale Forty, that, who still mm. exists now. Um, and the he bought it as speculation, really. He didn't really understand the hill or the local people's relationship to it. And Miss Beale was furious. So the day after he announced the, the hill was closed... She sent a hundred girls up the hill to walk on the paths <laughs> for their exercise. <laughs> but she also demanded he removed all the rented pianos from the school. Um, I have tried very hard to find that letter, but um, I called the latest college archive archivist, and they she they said sadly she didn't keep copies of her own letters. They would love a copy of it. Um, I called Dale Forty, and in fact met one of the directors recently. Um, and they think, well, it might have been the myth, and, you know, I think they want to draw a veil over a part of their history. <laughs> Henry John Dale wasn't very good for their reputation. How do you buy a hill? Would you buy well, he bought the quarries oh, from the family oh, that owned it. Owned the quarries? Yeah, oh, okay. because it was quarried for 400 years, so mm. he bought the quarries. Mm. Now, I could, because it very clearly says in the sales document, which, which mm. I've seen, that it was bought with all existing rights of way. Mm. Mm. Um, I couldn't understand how he could then say no. that he could close it. Mm. And I eventually found, deep in the legal boxes, one of the letters from his solicitor, 
Russell, who was an, also a nasty piece of work, um, that he believed that because he'd bought the stone, he owned the soil. Oh, and if he owned yeah. the soil, then he can stop people walking on it. Um, but he, he didn't, and they did actually win in the end. But the sad thing was, at that point, when they went to court and they'd done their hard labour and all the aged witnesses were taken to court in London, and I've seen the list of expenses for shipping all these old folk up to London, um, they only gave them the right to three narrow rights of way that were marked on an old map. Um, the map is actually in the book, and this is a copy of the map from the court papers with the disputed rights of way marked on it. Mm. So, so you can see that at the front of the book. Um, and the Walter Ballinger, the king of the common, went off to the First World War saying, I go to fight for what I'm not allowed to walk, walk over. Mm. And then he wrote back from the trenches to his family and friends to say that the barbed wire reminded him of the fences on his beloved hill, mm. which was really sad. And you, you have a little bit in it where you're talking about maps and your own sort oh, of the map relationship with the maps. Yes. yes. Shall I read that one? Yes. Yeah. And this is because, as I say, that the, the hill has changed enormously from the time of the map. I mean, the basic shape is still there, but everything's been wooded and greened and yeah. scrub overgrowing it and so on. And some paths have, have been widened by the mountain bikers or changed and others have been narrowed by the scrub and almost disappeared and some when I was a child there was a lot more of the old tramways that you could see there was a lot more of the metalwork still on the hill um, and, the, and the big framework that held, held the cables yeah. that had the drams of stone going up and down what they called the jennies because they were gravity fed um, and there was a lot more of that still visible when I was a child and underlying kiln platforms which are just about still there but now it's very different and trying to follow that map Map reading. I hold the old map in mind as I walk. Speak the path names aloud to myself. Try to visualise the angles where they meet. In the woods I am unsure. Trees and scrub deny the map. I don't know whether I tread. Skew path or bottom jenny. Can't see where the path edge lies. Under heart's tongue and tree roots that clasp onto crumbling stone. A hundred years of growth has greened the hill and healed the marks of quarries and the trams which rose at the scarp. Back then, those who walked here needed no map. A rich man's boast that he'd closed the hill because he'd bought the stone led to maps drawn and redrawn, hard-working men in jail and taken to court for going where they'd always gone. They'd hobnailed the way to villages over the top and knew which path late-to-school children would run. They named the paths but saw no need to plot on paper. They went where generations did, obeyed the curves and lines of the hill. I should drop the need to get it right, call where I tread the way. So is, is the hill not, in your view, used as much as it used to be in, in, in that way? Not in the everyday working people's lives. I mean, it's much more a, a place for leasure now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, then it was very much part of their everyday lives. I mean, they would literally use the paths over the hill because mm -hmm. it's, a, it's a huge escarpment. It's Scotswood Stone Escarpment, basically. Right. Um, one of the highest outcrops of that type of limestone. I think it's, uh, what's it, 295 metres high, I think. Mm -hmm. So the cliffs are very, very steep. Yeah. Um, so the escarpment's very steep to walk up, and then there's the long slope 
behind the cottage to the villagers. Um, walkers use it, dog walkers, mountain bikers, families on Sunday days. Um, it, it is used extensively, but not in the same way. I mean, working mm. people just mm. don't have the same sort of life, do they? No, true. Um, and that sort of change mm. is inevitable everywhere. And the three paths have remained the only access now? No, no, the whole hill is open now. Yeah, Dale yes. went bankrupt yes. in 1926. And yes. Yeah, and the council bought it yes. quite cheaply, actually. Um, <laughs> and they, they actually had a ceremony, and I've seen the photo of... Because the lime kiln foundations yeah. were just a, a stone platform. Yes, which the huge yes. metal lime kilns sat on, yeah. um, and there, there's, the mayor was stood on on the mm. on the lime kiln foundations, which mm. is halfway up the escarpment, opening it to the public. And what is lovely is that some of the stalwarts were there, some of the men that had fought and risked their liberty, yes. were there to see it opened yes. to the rest, but not until some years after, <coughs> after they'd had the fight. Mm. Mm. Um, there are a couple of poems actually about how different it is now. Um, this one is really about my feeling about the hill and how we are how we are torn between different pressures and different feelings about places like this. Mm. It's called greed. Fine days bring families out to chatter at the main paths. Children hopping over gullies carved in rain. Couples saunter with smiles and matching boots. Fingers entwined and shoulders bumping. All the battles for rights here. The risking of lives and liberty. And I am greedy for cloud. I want a buffeting wind or bitter drizzle. Squelching mud or slick ice on the paths. I want to walk away from the main track and hear no voices. I want a lonely dawn. Or to sit at the top and watch the creeping dusk. I want to be selfish, greedy, alone. Yeah. <laughs> and there's a real tug of what we want for ourselves and yeah. the recognition of how it needs to be there for everyone mm. and there's just one more that I'll read now which is really about the difference between the relationship of working men now and, and the traditional work of the hill really it's called The Wall on the hilltop, where scarp gentles onto farmland, a banner hangs along a crumbling wall. Traditional country crafts learn dry stone walling. Group stands, learning. Earnest in bright-coloured jackets, work glove clenched in white hands. The instructor is talking, turning a large stone in his hands, showing the shape, the edge, how it snicks into the space it was meant to fit. He beckons a man forward, asks him to feel the stone's fit, how it won't rock or shift, how it is become wall. I think of a man I knew once, a waller by trade until disease took his sight. He knew how to set a cheek end four square, how the tie stones know their right place. He told me how social workers spoke of long canes and dogs, of retraining and computers. He spread out his big hands, calloused and strong. What can I do, he said. What can I do? Angela, have you read um, John Moore's... Oh, yes. Yes, the trilogy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. 
there's some parallels in music. <coughs> yes, I think there are. I mean, I came across that years ago, and certainly on my bookshelf. Yeah, but it, yeah, very much. And it is, it is the Gloucestershire people that I feel an immense. I I feel as a Gloucestershire born and bred, and my family being in Gloucestershire for generations, I feel an affinity with those voices that come out. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel there is a certain character. And what amazes me is when I say I come from Cheltenham, people say, oh, Cheltenham. Actually, a poet once said that to me in the hospitality room. Oh, Cheltenham, because it's terribly nice in Regency. And I said, well, actually, you know, anywhere where there's an upper class, there's a raft of working class people looking after them. That's what makes it interesting, isn't it? Yes, yes. Because this is a lost yes. history to such yes. a large extent, and yeah. although yeah. this is so rooted in, in Gloucestershire and mm. in that hill, yeah. um, it, it has echoes in so many places. Yes. Yeah. 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 I was thinking about, I spent my time in Dumfries and Galloway, yeah. and in the far west of Galloway uh, were the levellers yes. coming out yeah. at yeah. night yeah. with long poles and yeah. demolishing stone walls which were enclosed, and this is very early yeah. enclosure yeah. and clearance happening yes. in the mm-hmm. yeah. Yes, enclosure was a, a bit, a bit before this, but uh, yeah. actually some of the broadsheet ballads yeah. that were written for the enclosures yeah. were quoted by William Sparrow there in his go. letters. He said, yeah. steal a goose from the common That's and it. you will get yeah. jail. Steal yeah. the common from the goose and not a stain will be left on your character. Yeah, and that is from the yeah. enclosures exactly. time, from the broadsheet yeah. ballads That's of the it. time. Yeah. So yeah. The, 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 the feeling of that was still very much, That's right. very yeah. much yeah. there. And it's great, you know, that sort of came mm. through somehow, because I mean, the levels just got... Yeah, completely. Well, the, I don't know if you the, know, the, but the there's a Leveller's Day in Burford um, yes. every year. Oh, yes. Yes, yes. yes. I mean, anybody that's had anything to do with the Woodcraft folk, they, they marched yes. to Burford to, to the church yes. where they were shot. But you can still see yeah. the bull, bullets home yeah. sitting at Leveller's yeah. Day in Burford every year. Um, but, but, yes, it's, um, it was actually something that concerned me when I was doing mm-hmm. the show and I was applying for the Arts mm-hmm. Council to tour it. Mm-hmm. It is so local. Mm-hmm. You know, we're, we're, we're talking mm-hmm. about a, a, a patch of 400 acres. Sure. Um, but I think it has such resonance yes, for all these yeah. other places. And I've, that is what yeah. I found. I mean, the furthest north I've been is Middlesbrough. Yeah. Um, the furthest south is Torbay. I've been over mm-hmm. to the east to Cambridge and Norwich. Mm-hmm. Um, and everywhere I've been, that somebody mm-hmm. has felt that resonance. And I think mm-hmm. w- with all the fights for, about fracking, mm-hmm. about yes, council yes, cuts maybe threatening parks, yes. mm-hmm. about mm-hmm. green yes. spaces being built yeah. on, yeah. they all have that feeling to them. Mm-hmm. Yes, mm-hmm. they do. Yeah. I was quite fascinated the fact that the council bought the hill. Mm. Now that was 1926. Yes. Mm. That hasn't been 2016. Yeah. Mm. yeah. It's highly unlikely. It would be the developer, wouldn't it? Sold. Yes. 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 That's right. Very Golden different sold. attitude, and it's very precious to it now. I mean, yeah. I just hope it's it's very interesting because the next hill up the road, Crickley Hill, has been turned into a, a into a country park. Yeah. Um, so I don't know whether that means it's more protected. I prefer Lecampton because it's not as managed. In the yeah, country yeah. park, if there's a tree in danger of dropping a branch, they put a fence around it so nobody gets hurt. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Whereas in, on, on Lecampton Hill, you can still fall off the cliffs if you want to because there's no fence stopping you. Yeah. <laughs> in fact, well, the, one of the Age of Witnesses actually talks about the previous owner, the, yeah. the squire, Squire Try, um, who owned the hill. And one of the women who was, they were talking about people walking on the hill and they talked about a lady who, who was very upset because her dog went off the cliff um, and she tried to sue Squire Try. Um, and his answer was that there were notices warning of dangerous rocks and if she couldn't teach her dog to read, that wasn't his fault. <laughs> <laughs> 
But they are just, I mean, there is a fence at the Devil's Chimney because it is very dangerous. It's very tall. If you see a postcard of Charlton, it's nearly always got the Devil's Chimney on it. It's a huge outcrop of limestone. And there are some old posters of people stood on the top, but they have got a fence there because if so many people go and look at it. But the rest of the cliffs, the quarries, it's even called Dead Man Quarry, the big, the biggest one. <laughs> yeah, and the, and you know, the trees fall where they will, and it's yeah. the only part of management of it actually is the Friends of the Campton Hill, which are a very active organisation, yeah. and they clear the scrub from the grasslands on the lower slopes, mm. and it's critical that they do because there's some very rare grasses, mm. a whole colony of Roman snails, and some other mm. rare species of, of flora and fauna, which would disappear if the scrub were allowed to take mm. over. So every year they go up and clear the scrub, but not the mature trees. Mm. Mm. I'm struck to some extent by the, not sure if they are parallels, but the contrast perhaps with the Malvern Hills, mm. which took an act of parliament yes. to, 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 to be preserved and to stop the quarrying yeah. over, a, over a period. Yeah. Well, I get the impression that was top down rather than bottom up. Mm. Yeah. Somebody will mm. tell me if that's right, I think. Yes, you think so. A lot of the people who live there would say so. Yeah, mm. yeah. Yeah, yeah. I don't know what would have happened if Henry Dale hadn't gone bankrupt. Because yeah. mm. it had been quarried for 400 years yes. and mm. privately yes. owned for 400 yes. years. Yes. Yes. Mm. Um, so if he hadn't been such a bad businessman yeah. or a bad hill yeah. man, yeah. Um, I don't know what would have happened. I mean, that, you know, quarrying limestone does still happen in places, doesn't it? Yeah, of and it was quarried for yes. the lime yes. as well yes. as for building stone. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Uh, it was supposed yeah. to be a particular fine type of limestone they used it for the carved ceiling in Chelton College mm. Chapel so yeah. it was yeah. and I, my house is actually Lecampton Stone yeah. and part of the university wall yeah. down, down yeah. in town is Lecampton Stone yeah. so it was used for all sorts of things but I really don't know what would have happened if he hadn't gone bankrupt at that at that point yeah it's hard well, to know they'd have had to look to Malvern and take that example I think I guess so or they would have carried on being developed I mean there were a few, few yeah. houses built on it yeah. They were starting to encroach, yeah. which yeah. is um, which was said in in one of Sparrow's other letters yeah. that people had were nibbling away at the sides of it. Mm -hmm. How long did they go to jail for? Um, Walter Ballinger, who was seen as the ringleader, was given nine months initially, and the others six months and four months, and then the others were let out, and he was kept in as a test case. I mean, it might not sound very long, but it was hard labour they yeah. were sentenced to, so they were sentenced <laughs> to hard labour. Um, and then once all the wages witnesses had gone to court and they won the three pass, they, they let Walter Ballinger out. And he came back to Cheltenham to a, a pub called The Wheat Sheaf, which is where they always met, The Wheat Sheaf on Old Bath Road. And they'd always met there, it's known as their pub. And they had a smoking party in the Skittle Alley when he came out of jail. <laughs> <laughs> so they all sat there with their pipes. <laughs> and in fact, two weeks ago, after long lobbying by the local history society, um, the Civic Society finally agreed to put up a plaque at the Wheat Sheaf for the Lecampton Stalwarts. I went to the ceremony two weeks ago when it, when it was unveiled. So, 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 it, so it never had been commemorated no, in any way? No. I mean, I go back to the point you were making about all oh, this was so, so many years before Kinderskin. Yes. Mm. Reading all this, did you come up with a feeling or a gut reaction as to why? I wondered if it... I don't know if I'm right, it's just speculation, but I wondered if it was to do with the fact that it was everyday working men preserving their everyday working life mm. rather, than the, yeah. rather than recreation. Um, yeah. I mean, they, they did use it for recreation, but it was also so much part of their everyday life 
um, that it was a, it was about the working people initially. The the people of the town did support them, and like I said, you know, Miss Beale from Ladies College was a great supporter yeah. of theirs. And on the day they knocked down the cottage, actually, there was two thousand people marched from town to support them. They had a, a man on. I haven't brought that recording, but there was a man on stood on the back of the cart outside the pub um, with a rabble rousing speech, which I've got verbatim from from the local press at the time. Um, and then they all marched up to Daisy Bank Road where the cottage was built and knocked it down. But it's very much the working people that led it. And, you know, I don't know if that's to do with it. Mm. Um, whereas the Kinder Scout was very much more about the, the right for leisure, the right to ramble, wasn't it? Yes, yes, yes. I think this is more a direct descendant of, of a protest against enclosure. Yes. Mm. You know, it's going yeah. back centuries. Mm. Yeah. 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 And mostly they lost. Yes. Mm. Yes. Yeah. yes. And they yeah. won, won eventually, but they didn't win quickly or easily. Yeah. yeah. Or they would get a very yeah. small yeah. fragment of it back. Yes. Which is the problem. Yes. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, yes. you know, I, I just I worry that somebody will get, get it in their idea that the council strapped for cash. <laughs> these yeah. days, yeah. you know. I suppose what's often happened now is, is councils have um, unloaded this onto local trusts. Mm. Yeah. Again, oh, in yes. an effort to, yeah. you know, and again, that is a way of protecting against yes. the endless repayments. Yes. They would yeah. sell it, yeah. you know, mm. and somebody would buy it. And mm. They would find yeah. to keep you out. Yeah. I mean, there's Seen another witness, <laughs> yeah, there's another witness here who, who talks about the, the, the parties they used to have on the hill. And oddly enough, um, given my Methodist upbringing, I found it very strange that they had them on Good Friday. Wow. Whereas, yes, yeah, so I was allowed, only allowed to go and walk on Good Friday. I was never allowed to play outside, you know. Yeah. You know, so so they actually had parties on Good Friday, um, which I found very strange. But I'll, I'll play you this one and read you the short poem that it came that it led to. All the paths claimed were recognised paths and were constantly used by people to get from point to point and not merely by people rolling on the air. I have frequently directed people by these paths who have asked me the way. At one time, donkey rides were very popular with the people of Jordan and this used to be a favourite way for parties on donkeys to come up the hill by the lower stoneway. William Hawkes used to supply donkeys for rides. I used to go on the hill most Fridays for many years. It used to be a great day on the hill for games, etc. There used to be a boxing competition between Charlton men and Lecampton men, and music and dancing. I used to play my harp on the hill on Good Fridays. I used to play by the middle jenny. <laughs> the harp mm -hmm. the shepherd's harp is cradled in oilcloth stands in the corner away from the fire <coughs> its paint is cracked scuffed on the corners of the sound box where once gilt scrolls fade into shadows he's told it is a lap harp not a welsh harp as it has no high head and the wrong shape for a lute harp he only knows it fits onto his back when he walks over the hills and sings to his fingers when he strokes the strings Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. and there's also the poems in the voices of um, the creatures yes and and how they came about was because yeah. in a way I don't know if you know the term but in a way that this book turns into a sort of psychogeography of the hill mm. 
So you're looking down all the layers. Mm. Um, and other poems mention that there's an Iron Age fort on top, there's the Roman snails mm. on the lower slopes that the Romans brought when they came. Um, but I became aware that I had so many voices, human voices, that the oldest inhabitants of the hill, the creatures of the hill, needed their own voice. Mm. And for a poet, writing in a creature's voice is fraught with difficulty. Yeah. Um, yes. It can come over as cute mm. or, or inauthentic. And I struggled, struggled for a long time to find the voice that would do. And then I came across this thing called Anglish, which is a bit of a gimmick, but it is English with the Latinate words and influences removed. So it is all goes back to um, Anglo-Saxon, Middle English, and a bit of German influence. Um, and I found a word hoard online where you could look for words. And although it is a bit of a gimmick, it feels right. It feels right in the mouth, and it feels like it connects to something ancient. And so I used those, that voice and those words for the creature of the hill. Now, I'll read you two of those, and I have no idea at the time. You'll have to keep No, me. I am um, keeping on, and I, we're doing fine. Yeah. That's all right, then. So the first one is, is Nada Speaks. Nada is Anglo-Saxon for Adder, which evolved from a Nada to an Adder. <laughs> <laughs> so Nada Speaks. Stone stuff listens on woodside and hillside, in the delvins and pits. Yellowstone sunders and splits, falls to bend man-shaped iron. Nada Speaks to Warcropper and Wold Mouse, Hairling and leaf worm says, Hide yourself at suntime, year tide, when man sets forehold on paths in woods and grasses, takes tithing through world all. Show yourself to the unkissed child who sits wise fast and seething under trees. And the other one I'll do is wart cropper, which is a hare. Wart cropper. Twitches swart tips, unbeheld hallows wall, world all, sieves shelterness in the wold by woodside, is lovesome to leafworm, hickle and wold mouse, but afraid of hunger bitten fox, and loathes foesome man who tears world all to one hope. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> lovely, lovely. Like they, they, it feels so right in the mouth, it, it yeah. feels like it connects yeah. to something older. Yes. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Earthy. Yes. yes. I thought they were very effective as a group. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. There's seven of them going through. Through the book. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. 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 So you talked about the beginning about mm. how it developed. Yes. I mean, when did you? When did you feel that it had moved from just a few poems to yeah. a collection further? Or I, was that not a conscious? It was just. A it grew. <laughs> it just grew. Um, I think there was a point. At first, I thought it was going to be a sequence in an ordinary poetry collection. Yeah. Um, I thought, you know, or a section. You know, lots of poetry collections these days have sections. And, yeah. um, and I thought it might be just a sec section in my next collection. Um, but it evolved. And I, I went on, I, as I've said, I had to get away from the archive at times, to come away from the history, to remind myself I wasn't writing a history book, um, and to reconnect with the poetry. But I also had to come <laughs> away from the hill at times and let the voice of the hill and the voice of the archive all settle within me at times. And so I guess a year after I started it, I went away on retreat to Ireland, um, to West Cork. There's a place there, Anamkara, which I love to go to, um, and went there to work on it solidly for a week. And then it became clear that it was a collection. Um, 
there were various bumps along the way. I mean, there was, ordering it was terribly difficult. I didn't know what to do with it. Mm. Um, for instance, you know, do you put the sequence all together? Do you put all these poems that are typed together? And that just wouldn't work. So again, a year later, in fact, it was getting a bit close because I went at the end of January and Jane from Nine Arches wanted the manuscript at the end of January. So, mm. um, yeah, pressure, so, pressure. <laughs> so I went again to Anamkara to to write the to order it and then fill in the gaps with the last few poems where I felt there was gaps. Mm. So I guess, from your original question, I guess it was about a year after I started that it became clear that it needed to be the whole book was, was The Hill, not just a section in, in another collection. Yeah. Yeah. How, how did the show develop? Um, well, through, mostly through the voices. And I was very lucky in having lots of help, I have to say. Um, a lot of the stuff I found in the archive, not only the voices, but photographs. And there's two marvellous photographs of the cottage being demolished. Of the the men, which um, those of the seen the show have seen the photographs on the slides, of the men stood on the rubble or with their pipes and their sledgehammers, and another one of the of the cottage halfway down. It looks like a party. There's women and there's straw boaters and there's children. Um, and that looks, yeah, no, exactly. Um, and I I had this. It was actually inspired that I could do this by a show. A, couple of years previously Martin Figueroa's Whistle which of those of you have seen was the first time I'd seen something like that and he turned his poetry collection into a, like a one-man show and I thought well maybe that's possible but I had to find a way of doing these voices and I didn't know if I could I mean you know the university has performing arts students but as I say most people who've asked them to do Gloucestershire they really don't get it no. um, and then I was very lucky to f meet this actor at my brother's wedding he knew I was a poet he asked me what I was working on and I explained about the book and that I really wanted to do the show. And he said, well, I'll do them for you. And he's a professional voice actor with a mm -hmm. studio in London, yeah. uh, which would have cost a fortune. Mm -hmm. um, and he was marvellous. I mean, I would send him the script, explain what sort of person this was. And he'd come back to me the next day with an MP3. Um, wow. A couple of times, we like to start with, he was sounding the H in Lecampton. And you, as you can hear, I, I, even I don't do that. You know, it's Lickhampton, it's not Lickhampton. <laughs> um, <so>, and Cheltenham. <laughs> it's not Cheltenham, it's Cheltenham. Um, so, you know, there were a couple of things like that that I wrote back and said, well, actually. Um, but really just tiny tweaks. And as soon as he got that, he got the voices right. And he did all these different voices. I mean, he did the witnesses, he did the solicitor, um, who is... Actually, I'll just have to play a bit of the slitter and then I'll stop it. Because <laughs> he was a sort of... Yeah, uh, well, the thing is, a Cheltenham solicitor then, by a rather penny-pinching businessman, I imagined would be rather full of himself, but a country solicitor and perhaps not as good as he thinks he is. So yes, this yes. is what I said to John, the actor, and this is what he came up with. I'll, I'll, I'll just play the bits with the solicitor's letter. And then pause it. <coughs> from W. H. Russell on behalf of Mr. H. J. Dale. I am instructed to write to each individual member of the council with a view, if possible, to arouse that lethargic body out of their long sleep on this subject and for the purposes of endeavouring to induce them to fulfil their duties to their constituents who elected them. One of those two is being, in the words of the Local Government Act, 1894, 
to protect all public rights of way and to prevent as far as possible the stopping or obstruction of any such right of way. These words of the Act, it may be mentioned, mean that the District Council should make use of the proper legal machinery which is invoked by all District Councils who desire to carry out their duties properly, and not that they should delegate their responsibilities to a handful of poor working men whose misguided actions are calculated to land them in jail and bring the council into disrepute in the minds of all peaceable and law-abiding people. Yes, yes, but he is a country solicitor after yeah, all. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. The interesting thing about that particular letter was that he was... Dale closed the rights of way, but then he seemed to be badgering the council to do something about it. And it took me a while to work that out, because at a couple of points, Russell, on behalf of Dale, wrote to the council and said, we will be on the pass at such and such a date at 11am, and we are going to block the pass, so you can come and clear it. Um, and I think what th this was all about was that if he couldn't make the Royal District Council Act, and he, as he says, this Arctic body, um, then he could get away with it. He could say, well, the council haven't done anything, therefore. Um, but every time he did that and blocked the paths for the council to clear, they didn't turn up, but Walter Ballinger did. <laughs> with, with his axe. <laughs> How did he know? Well, they put it in the paper. Ah, right. Um, I mean, that was yeah. in the paper as well. That was in the newspaper, and William Sparrow immediately answers it. Yeah. Um, and in the newspapers, it's lovely because they have letters and then they have late letters that yeah. came in during the afternoon. So it says Farrow would write yeah. immediately. Yeah. Do you want to hear his answer to that? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm aware that time is getting on. Sir, the snuffling tone of Mr W. H. Russell <laughs> when he talks of the poor working man is unasked for and will not be appreciated. Every knave and mountebank that ever had an axe to grind have by turns cajoled, flattered, threatened, intimidated, and abused the poor working man. Mr. Russell is concerned lest we should be led into temptation and land ourselves in jail. A precious deal Mr. Russell or his clients would care if the whole batch of us were landed in jail tomorrow. So they can cease shedding their crocodile tears for us and go to work in a straightforward way, without any hypocritical make-believe that they are holding their hand for fear of hurting the poor working man. William Sparrow, <laughs> July 17th, 1902. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and it, uh, I, I mean, um, sorry, is any, does it, does it, any, I mean, I, I, we are coming to, to think about closing, but it would, uh, one of the things I do... Um, uh, love is um, the poem that comes towards the end of the book where you um, uh, talk a little bit about um, how the hill has taught you the thing, the way the oh, hill taught as you. I went on it's a childhood. A, yes, because it's the, it's this lovely idea of yeah. yourself as this child. Yeah, so and, and I did literally start going up there at about 10 um, and my parents got me my first dog um, because I, had the, I went up there every weekend and school holiday and just rambled over the hill on my own. So this was sort of going back to, to my first introduction to the hill, really. First footing. When I first climbed here alone in my tenth summer, I took pleasure in geography class knowledge that it's Jurassic limestone, not a hill, but an escarpment. 
I turned rocks in the quarry to look for ammonites and dreamed of dinosaur bones. Lay under trees to put saddles on stag beetles jousting with twigs. The stone engine house and workings were ruined castles where I peopled kingdoms and hoped to see the adders from the painted beware signs. So many days I trekked up the old tramway, which bent away from the road and climbed behind the houses to emerge where I had to stand and daydream a little at the cottage nestled under the beechwood. I trailed narrow paths, made a crypt under great, great roots where a pit edge crumbled away and studded lichen for secret runes. The dog at my side as I wandered the scarp was intended to protect a child alone, but I'd already met the dangers there. I didn't know then that, like the adders, the habit of solitude hides risk under attraction. Um, I, I love that idea of the poet forming at this point with the um, solitude of walking. Um, but also the um, sense of the crypt as well, yeah. of the um, hill as uh, a kind of spiritual yes. place. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, really. I, I have deep taproot that keeps calling me back. <laughs> yes, yeah, really sensible. A, a last question mm. on Ballinger. Yes. So he went to prison, he yes. came out, yes. he went to war, yes. what happened to him after that? He actually retrained before he went to war, which is interesting because he, he upskilled. Um, because he was a clay digger at the time of the riots, which is probably about the most menial job he could get at the time. <coughs> and he retrained on the tramways as a plate layer. And so he, he, he laid the tram lines to get to the front, to get supplies oh, to the yeah. front, and came back and worked then on the tramways and railways. Because so, although um, Dale went bust, there was still a lot of railways in the area. Um, and, and he was able to retrain and work on there. Final questions? Any final thoughts? Asks any, anything? Okay, well, thank you very much, Angela. That was a really lovely presentation. Thank you.